All right, welcome to the Pitch Stack episode 15. The episode where we wait longer for Uprising than we thought we had to. Matt, how are you doing? Uh, Better, considering uh, we don't have any Uprising yet. Yeah. A lot of downfalling. Unfortunately. Unfortunately, indeed. Um, So, Matt, uh, why don't we uh, start off this episode... Uh, with a little judge's corner, mm-hmm. uh, I understand you have a uh, dagger to throw straight at me, or in this case, a zephyr needle. A zephyr needle, indeed. Perhaps not too difficult, but we shall see. So, here's a question about a card you probably never thought you'd hear. But, uh, Aetherize. Oh, yes. Aetherize. Is a uh, player A plays a non-attack action as an instant through the effect of rifting or spellbound creepers or, you know, perhaps a attack action played through rattle bones as an instant. Say the cost of this attack or this non-attack action is uh, zero. Can you play as a wizard? Aetherize to counter this action played as an instant. Okay. To negate uh, it. So my initial reaction, I don't know the exact ruling, uh, but my initial reaction is to say no, because you're only being allowed to play the card at a different timing and speed while negate is worded negate target instant card, which refers to a card type. Right. Oh, yeah. I was ready for that to be wrong and just have fun. Well, I was saying, I was saying, right, as in, like, you know, like, right, right, right. Oh, uh, okay. I'm following. However, you are right. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> yes, you are correct. Oh man, well, yeah. it's a good thing this is the last episode uh, before Uprising comes out. <laughs> then we'll have new cards to talk. I'm about. glad that doesn't have to. That hasn't had to come up because <laughs> I'm sure somebody will fervently defend the ability to counter a non-attack action played as an instant. Yeah, that's interesting because I really like the idea of the um, the design space, though. All counters, like specifically negate, has to target a card type in its... Uh, that's really interesting instead of a card speed. I know we don't really have card speed in this game, and I know if you've read anything about Yu-Gi-Oh, it's completely non-understandable. Um, yeah, but it's, it's mean, interesting to me. It's the same for Magic. In Magic, you target card types, not tar- card speeds. Yeah. Like you could not um you could not if you know magic cards, you couldn't dispel a um a creature played with flash. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right, yeah. Cool. Right. That makes sense. All right, right on. But yeah, Aether pretty rides. simple one today, but figured it's a card we don't really see too much, and uh it might have been enough of a doozy. I mean, I bought nine Aetherizes for $4.50, and that four fifty is now worth $9. <laughs> hey, there you go. We're getting there. Pretty One of these days, Aetherize is actually going to be uh, super playable, and everyone's going to start, you know, kicking their feet, wondering yeah, right. why they didn't buy 100 copies of Aetherize. Force of Will was a bulk card. Um, That's so, what they okay, all say. So, and feel free to let us know in the comments. I've noticed every other podcast just starts at the beginning with the intro, but we don't. Maybe that's the thing we do that makes us cool. Uh, but 
you know, if you maybe we start moving the intro to the beginning. I've been thinking about this, so feel yeah. free to leave us a comment. Please, yeah, um, please do. I do. I do feel as though it is interesting that we don't do the intro right at the beginning at the get go because it's usually yeah. how you brand. You know, like you kind of like straight up like, "Hey, we are Pitstack." Yeah, podcast. It's, we're the cold open people. Maybe that's what it is. Maybe that's our brand, but. Uh, while our viewers ponder which one's better, they get to listen to the intro. So we'll be right back. You're listening to the Pitch Stack Podcast. All right, and we're back from the intro. Um, Matt, we got our full-on BNR announcement. Obviously, the new rules update uh, was delayed until July 1st, but we did get a sneak peek of the BNR. There's a sneak peek of the rules up. Matt, let's talk about this BNR announcement. Yeah, for sure. Um, so really... Not a lot stood out to me in this BNR announcement. Uh, I think my favorite part of it was just something I didn't think about, but is like incredibly obvious. And that is like, um, what is it? Uh, seed of Agony is no longer suspended. And it wasn't yes, something I had seeds even really Seed of Agony is legal. <laughs> it's, it's, it's legal, but you don't have anywhere to do it. It's Yet. a lot like, um, it's a lot like hoverboard racing. Right. That's nowhere legal to do it. Exactly. <laughs> However, um, I know quite a few Ulton players are very happy about this recent update. Now that yeah. Autumn's touch is legal, we don't have to block for two anymore with breakground. Yeah, absolutely. And I I think that's huge for Oldham. I mean Oldham had Oldham felt like a little step below and being able to give Oldham like I think it probably in most lists it'll work out to roughly six more life give or take um, I think having that extra turn of Oldham is huge uh, it improves your matchup against a couple of decks I still think you're just you're sitting duck against illusionist um, which is unfortunate for Oldham but to be fair I am glad that Prism's in the meta because uh, otherwise Oldham would just be the most oppressive deck and it wouldn't even be close um, yeah so, yeah, I think giving him a little bit more life is better right now in terms of how things work. I don't know how much of Autumn's Touch you end up actually running. I'm excited to see some lists and see people crunch the numbers, what they come up with. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's back. It is back. And we do have the official Living Legend status announcement for the Galaxy two... Black. Yeah, Galaxy Black. <laughs> <laughs> the two... Boogeyman of CC, Starvo yeah. and Shane. Yeah, Starvo and Shane have officially rotated out. Now, this is interesting, Matt, because I know over the last 14 episodes up until this point, I've brought up a couple times that I think they designed Starvo to LL. Um, yeah. Mostly as a test of the system, because then you don't have any dead cards. Like, that's a huge part of it. However, now that Shane has LL'd, there is 
I mean, there's a whole hero's worth of cards that are dead in the game's premiere format, which is very fascinating to me. It it makes me feel like I probably should have sold all of my foil Shane cards that I never played uh, before anything happened. And my carrying house, which is now like 50 bucks now. (laughs) I love before the before the living legend format. Yeah, well, so that's the thing, too, right? Um, Because LSS has shown us that they are not afraid of directly injecting a hero into classic constructed through the supplemental sets um where previously they only injected young heroes in the in crucible like we got starvo and everfest which yeah. they were testing out you know what if we just throw a hero in here it's, it's pretty um, hard to call it a precedent when they've only done one supplemental set yeah you know i mean i i thought of it that way we're like oh yeah we're only gonna get young heroes and we're probably gonna get a majestic set of uh, equipment for every hero and that just didn't happen uh, yeah, I mean, that's, cool it's me. just the structural nature of trading card games. They most sets in general follow a specific formula. Yeah, but we like to think of things in cycles, like yeah. having cycles. You know, it's very magic so, player thing. <laughs> it is a very magic player thing to constantly think in cycles. So with Flesh and Blood Dynasty, uh, which James White, the man himself, has revealed is the upcoming set. I think this dead card pool that is chain uh, is only dead for three months. I think the October set, oh. we see a brand new Shadow Rune Blade. That would be interesting. I, I wouldn't be mad. I would only be mad if it wasn't Viscerai. Because, um, you know, he's the man. Why, did, why wasn't he? He should have been Shadow from the get go. But this is before they, I guess, they did the Shadow Talent. Let me, let's be yeah. reasonable. They had the shadow border. border. Yeah, exactly. The monastery. Yeah, and and as far as I understand, he's not like you know this is a flavor thing. He's not like under uh, Sutcliffe's control anymore. And maybe I'm mistaken, but he's turned over to Irathiel or something like that. I don't know. I mean, runic reclamation makes it seem that way, but I guess I'd have to look deeper into the law. Um, I need Sutcliffe to get more lore. There is nothing I love more than that weird ass floating head old tiny well, Zordon you, dude. There, there's a big backstory for him. I don't know if you know, but like he was. Oh, I do. Yeah, yeah. He's part of Solana, and then he got banished and then exiled. He went off to this island to seek forbidden knowledge. It's always on islands. Yeah, that's where okay. evil master. Yeah, e- evil evil masterminds. Uh, go out there to plot just they go out to these geographic structures and they plot um i do think you're right though that's uh it's yeah you're right with uh runic reclamation because it, like who knows uh who knows when this card like what point it's taking part in you know yeah so i don't know that's fascinating maybe he'll get a darth vader arc and like take oh, his mask so cool. off Go back to being draconic, or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Who <laughs> of the lore? Uh, so that you know, banned and restricted, obviously. Um, so what's interesting though is Galaxy Black is the signature weapon. Now, obviously, we haven't seen this before, but it makes you wonder if, when we, if they are to push a new hero straight into classic constructed, do they print it with? a new signature weapon, which is interesting because even though chain hit living legend, uh, he really wasn't using galaxy black. Yeah. I think galaxy black was designed mostly for limited 
And, you know, I think that they expected Shane to kind of just uh, use Nebula Blade. Maybe, maybe Galaxy Black. I'm not sure. But, like, it, it's not... I don't think they're going to go out of their way to make, like... If it's in a supplemental set, right? I don't think they're going to go out of their way to make, like, a a two-type, like, two-class-specific uh, card, right? Like, Shadow Runeblade. Like, how many characters are going to even use this right i think they'll end up doing a generic runeblade weapon uh or none at all and just let the shadow runeblade hero access a uh a uh what's the word uh just a uh the already current pool of weapons yeah or what i think would be even more interesting is if they uh break some new ground here and design uh a weapon that uh is what's i don't know if it's the word is vertically that crosses over vertically or horizontally but a shadow only weapon and it could be used by levia and this new hero and shane in other formats yeah or like a, a light only weapon right where uh either bolton or uh prism could use it yeah that's fair but it'd be weird because it'd be like, well, which of the two is going to want it even more? I mean, if it's a weapon, probably Bolton more, but it might have an effect on it that might be beneficial to a specific build of Prism or a sideboard tech for Prism. Yeah. You know, um, but that would be interesting. I'd like to see something like that. Um, OK, so here I have a question for you, and this is interesting because I, you know, I was thinking about this. Um, so Prism has Luminaris, is uh, Prism's majestic weapon. Yeah. Levia has Hexagore. Mm-hmm. Bolton has Raiden. Off the top of your head, do you remember what Chain's majestic weapon was? Dread Scythe. Um, which is interesting that you say Dread Scythe. Uh, because did this card see any play? E- no. Not not any serious tournament, like competitive play. I've seen it played in an actual tournament, like a calling. But they, I mean, I won that match, so it obviously wasn't good. But <laughs> I, you know what? I wish that, that card has a few uh, redeeming qualities, but not enough to make up for the fact that it costs three to activate. It's so weird because I feel like it, Dread Sight's such a bizarre card. So for those of you that have never seen it in your entire life, uh, <laughs> which is certainly possible, uh, what Dread Sight does is for three, it attacks. It is a three attack weapon. Whenever you attack with it, you deal one arcane damage. And um, a hero dealt damage by Dread Sight can't gain life during their next action phase, which is so weird because the vast majority of life gain cards in this game are instants. Um, yes. Well, Sigil mostly, actually. Um, but, I mean, Rejuvenate can be played as an instant. Uh, but the rest of them, I think, actually mostly gain you life uh, at sorcery speed. As I said, sorcery speed. <laughs> at, a- <laughs> at action speed, but... Uh, oh, yeah. Speed. Um, <laughs> Oasis for Spite. That's like one yeah. life, right? And you're wasting a, a damage prevention, which would which actually that card would just prevent the damage from all the damage from the scythe anyways. Um, 
So yeah. obviously you can only play instance during your action phase. Um, kind of. It's complicated, but neither player gets priority during the beginning or end of turn. But so the reason I bring this up just in case like you were you were thinking like, well, what are you talking about? Like the action phase, like you have the cards that you're going to be playing on your next turn already in hand. So like you could immediately respond to this dread site thing with whatever life you're going to gain. I do see like there's yeah, a couple actions, if it's an instant. Correct. Yeah. But I'm saying I, th- I think mostly it's just sigil solace, if I'm not mistaken. And as far as life yeah. gain goes, like an instant speed life gain, I think it's just sigil. So in and of itself, were there any, I did not play that much. Uh, like I started playing maybe two months after Monarch came out initially. Yeah. Uh, so I missed a lot of like the weird cards being experimented with in the early Monarch meta and stuff. Um, if I remember correctly, this set, um, this set doesn't have any life gain, does it? Uh, it, I believe it, might in the form of the uh instant speed cards that each of the talents got i think the light one gains you life ray of hope if i'm not mistaken oh uh, okay no it I... doesn't no it doesn't um yeah no i i mean i was just it, it has the symbol on it but uh, i had to remind myself here for a second yeah it does something weird if you have less life than the opposing hero right yeah, exactly. That's right. Huh. The shadow ones, of course, wouldn't gain you any life. That's not what they're all about. They're making you they're about making you pay your life, you know? Yeah. So it's really interesting to me, right, that obviously so if you look at the signature weapons for each hero, um, it's Luminaris for Prism, it's Hexagore for Levia, it's Raiden for Bolton, and with chain with chain they stuck with his token weapon and as a signature yeah yeah i think that's fascinating and i guess i don't know there's like this weird design space and i would love to hear from the devs at some point or just i i just have so many questions about galaxy black just from a set design perspective where they were like now this token weapon has like a super rare uh what would now be called a marvel art of it and it's just, it's really fascinating. Right, yeah. They just, there's so much emphasis on a token weapon here that, I don't know, I guess just synergistically, they decided was significantly better than, um, <laughs> than I this mean, life it, game. It kind of is. That was a life game. I mean, to be fair, it is. Um, the I guess I have more questions about the scythe. Yeah, no, I think that's what it is, because the Dread Sight really isn't all that impressive on its own. And if Galaxy Black, Black hits, it's effectively a Dread Scythe. If you've played a card out of your Banish this turn, it gets plus two, and it's a three-power attack at that rate. Uh, it's a one-cost action ability, and if it hits, you deal one arcane damage. So it's still four for one, rather than three for a guaranteed four uh, with an extra ability, which is just nearly irrelevant. Um, but I, I you know the thing is really like we we are still in a very like growing part of the game and like who knows what the future holds there may be a day where like we're like holy crap this is super relevant too much life gain in this meta this hero has a you know an on this hero has an ability that just gains them life non-stop and it happens on every single one of their turns like 
you know, and it, it requires them to have a good amount of cards in hand. So if you're playing this scythe, it's going to force them to prevent the arcane damage so that they don't get uh, the negative effect of not being able to gain life, right? And then the on-hit effect as well. I mean, not the on-hit, but the physical damage they'd have to stop as well. So that would cost them two cards to stop all the damage from the scythe. Yeah. Assuming they don't have any other, like, resource uh, tools like Tunic, right? Yeah, that's fair. So it's a two-card uh, block, essentially. Uh, and then and that's how you prevent the effect. Now, there is, of course, uh, Reaping Blade from Crucible of War. And you're probably a little bit more familiar with that one. Yeah. So this one, I actually, off the top of my head, I couldn't tell you what it does, but I can tell you there's two of them in my bulk box. And I just... Is, is Reaping Blade the one... Okay, that's what it is. Reaping Blade, I feel like, is better than the Scythe. And I know that's really weird to say. I Obviously, it's not strictly better. Um, they both have unique effects. Yeah. I would say it, it, it's, as far as, like, uh, it's cost goes, yes, it's just better because it's a one for three. And the effect on it is static. It'll be there as long as you have less life. But I think it's it was it was definitely geared around the OTK deck that was going around at the time before the Monarch release, like before Sonata. Like this was the preparation essentially for like a, a tanky deck, right? Where you would just tank and build a Brune Chance, and then it would just prevent like Guardian decks from gaining too much life uh, while you were trying to build up, you know, uh, an, a one turn kill or uh, yeah. sigils, you know, and stuff like that. Huh. It's interesting. Yeah. Um, you know, it's it's funny they had they, I'm saying like they they designed this card before the Sonata OTK deck came out and this was That's like the, the this was like the key to keeping decks like Guardians uh from gaining life, too much life and even uh Mechanologist because they had the action points and the and the finals uh tome, right? Uh to keep them from getting out of range when you were trying to OTK them. Uh, something like that could exist in the future for the scythe to actually be relevant. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. It's just, it's interesting. I guess it's a card with a unique effect, which is yeah. fascinating in and of itself. But I also wouldn't put it past them to just make a really shit card. So <laughs> it just, yeah. It's really interesting, though, that like, I don't know, the, the Rune Blade weapon design space is very bizarre because they clearly. Like uh, they went way too far. Um, and then like, you know, I, it's just it's so weird because they immediately after printing this, like just printed two super powerful room blade weapons, one so powerful it never saw play. Um, yeah. I don't know. It's a lot to think about. And I obviously we've gotten far off of the original point of Galaxy Black is now banned. But uh, that's weird for the first weapon to ever enter the Hall of Legendary Weapons saw no play, really. It was no part of uh, getting changed to LL, really. Correct. Yeah. Odd stuff. Odd stuff. Absolutely. Starvo, gone. Um, so this is interesting. This kind of took me by surprise. Um uh -huh. I guess there was a big ban in Blitz, and that is mm -hmm. uh, did not mean for that much alliteration there. Uh, did not I, I wasn't sure that this was the right thing until I really looked at the Blitz meta. Because if I'm being perfectly honest, I haven't really played Blitz seriously at all since skirmish season. So I haven't seen like the new 
Like, I haven't seen what it looks like with the new set of bands. Um, it's interesting to me that Crown of Seeds turned Oldham into a very oppressive exhaustion deck. Yeah, I mean, Crown of Seeds is just inherently like a value engine. It's so it's so incredibly good. Yeah, it's a it's it's very interesting. It's like a um I I would compare I would say the closest legendary we have to it is maybe Valiant Dynamo and that it just continually gives you a huge advantage in terms of life swings. But because of the weird card selection advantage it gives you, like I don't know, I think it's such an oppressive card and a design space that yeah. I think we may actually after Prism LLs uh, which I'm sure is going to happen before October, I would not be surprised to see Crown of Seeds suspended in Classic Construct in October, obviously thinking well far ahead. Yeah, I mean, that's something to, that's something to consider. I don't think it's anything like worth... Um, I think that's something they'd have to reevaluate then, right? Around the time Prism yeah. would leave. And to see like what Ultimate's effect on the new heroes is like. Are they able to get around it? Because if they aren't, then they are going to have to take some sort of action, right? To avoid having like a a, a guardian just gatekeeping the entire format. Um, yeah. The way Prism is like right now, kind of. Um, but luckily Prism's on our way out. Um, and I think it's it's good. It was good for a while, but I think that it, things need to change. It's just kind of like getting a little bit too samey in CC. Yeah, but, um, agreed. Up, uprising for sure. Uprising on its own would have changed and shaken things up. So it's just uh, interesting to see the changes they're making here for Blitz as well to try to so, shake things up. But it feels weird yeah. to think about Ultima without Crown of Seeds. Right? I mean, especially, I mean, I can see it in the context of Blitz. I don't know what you run instead. Maybe Helm of Eisen's Peak. Um, or you probably just run Skullcap. Or one of the newer ones, you know, like there's some new thing, there's some new options to consider. Yeah. So. That is very true. Um, yeah, there are a bunch of new options to consider. Cornet Peak and there's even a common one. <laughs> yeah. Huh. I wonder how that shakes out. That's actually really interesting. I don't play enough Oldham to be able to immediately be like, oh, that's the best one. Yeah. Um, so, Matt, I don't know about you, but I play a lot of commoner. Um, I haven't had a chance. I know I built one, but I, I just every single time I bring it with me, we're doing a uh, uh, an armory, and then we just aren't. We're just not sitting down to play any commoner. And I also just built the like the most broken deck in the format, which it was severe, which was heavily affected by this banning. Um, yeah, so I will end up having to sit down and just throw together something else. Um. Yeah, so what we're talking about here is they have banned Ball Lightning. Congratulations, Ball Lightning. Every format, <laughs> gone. Um, I believe this is the first card to be banned in all three formats. Uh, Obviously, uh, Duskblade here, I guess, doesn't count because it was never legal in the format. Well, actually, it would have been Drone of Brutality banned in all formats. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but that was like on a principle thing. Like they just wish that card didn't exist. Yeah, jokes on them. Uh, so <laughs> they also banned belittle, and the belittle banning is fascinating to me, um, because on a very statistical level, 
Belittle was by far and away the best card in Commoner. And it's insane to think about what this card actually does. So you have a three power attack for one that draws you a card. Technically. Yeah. I mean, effectively, what it does, it gets you either a pitch or gets you like a buff, like realistically. Yeah. Uh, So this card was, you know, it's very, very, very good. And I'm glad to see that even though they say that they're not actively testing for the commoner format, that they are willing to listen to the community and make changes, which is really cool. Because obviously, like, we're not going to see like a commoner calling, although that'd be gnarly. That um, would anytime be crazy. Soon. <laughs> uh, well, so it's interesting. I've got foil a foil common spike. <laughs> yeah, just yeah, foil common spike. I've got to update my commoner decks now to meet the new requirements. Uh, essentially, I got so tired of the Ira welcome deck mirror that I have a little box with six commoner decks in it, and I use that to teach people the game now. Nice. Um, because I can't play another Ira deck ever again. It's ruined. It's over. It's so how many opportunities, game. speaking of teaching people how to play the game, I mean, maybe we can just use this to transition to a small, like, uh, a small, uh, you know, a side rant or whatever. But uh, how, how have you felt, if at all, like, uh, introducing people to the game or teaching you players with the uh, classic battles? So I, I've only played one game of Classic Battles, and it was a new player had bought it and uh, asked me to play a game with him. And uh, it was interesting. Um, so something I have found, right, yeah, within the Classic Battles is uh, it, it can be a little coin flippy, which I think is good for any beginner pro- uh, product. Like, you should be able to go back and forth. Um, but... One of the things that, and I know you and I have talked about this, um, one of the things that draws people into this game is getting to play a class they love or a character they're super into. Like, you're a Viscerai guy. I'm a huge Prism guy. Like, these are, like, you just, you know, you really like the character. It's not so much like you're building a list and a deck. So you get behind a character, like a class. Like, I usually play casters in RPGs. Um and so I think it's been so much easier, like the people who I have shown the game with my set of commoner decks, they have more immediately been drawn to a hero where they're like, oh, like this is like X in whatever MMO or RPG or whatever else they play. And I feel like that is innately the flaw with the classic battles pro- like product. Yeah. I think it's great. Don't get me wrong. But it's like you either have to fall in love with Dory or with Reinar. And I feel like a lot of people fall in love with Reinar, which is yeah. fine. I also think that I'm sorry. Um, oh, no worries. But I also think it, it it could potentially be attractive to a player uh, if they are just drawn in by the mechanical aspect of the game learning in that fashion. Right. As opposed to being drawn into the heroes. Yeah, that is interesting. Yeah. If you're like if you're the type of player uh, where you're just like, what are the foundations of this card game and how does it work? Right. Then I, I think the classic battles is infinitely better. I mean, truthfully, we're, we're not for that. You know, that would be yeah. that would was like the icing for me on top of the cake that drew me in, aside from just the characters uh, and the card design and the art. Right. Yeah. I um, 
I don't know. So the thing that innately drew me into the game is I was hanging out and playing Magic at my local LGS, and uh, they had the Blitz decks for sale. And I was like, okay, this game kind of worked. I, I mean, obviously, I'm just rehashing a point here, but uh, like they had the Blitz decks for sale, and I was like, oh, okay. It's like, well, I've been on this like caster kick lately because I don't know. I spent the first 20 years of my life only playing tanks or like plate <laughs> armor wares. And so I was like, you know what? I um, you know, I'm gonna go with I'm gonna go with this like this prism deck looks cool. Like I really like the aesthetics. Like gold and green are my favorite colors. So you like actually Dory is like insane for me because everything's like gold and green. Yeah. Um and that's a that's why I went out of my way to uh grab the classic battles play mat because it's like gold and green colors. The green man and the gold lady, like Yeah. Green man, gold lady, fight. <laughs> um so like I got drawn in a certain way. However, the way my brain is wired, like, like the aesthetics of things are what draw me into stuff. Um, And I know there's plenty of people that are drawn into things by the mechanics. And so I know we had this discussion, but I think you're 100% correct when you bring up that the classic battles is a great way of showing off the mechanics of the game. Even like, even with, and I know we brought this up maybe a month ago, but they fixed the D reacts where they're not confusing anymore because they, well, I mean, they're still confusing, let's be honest, but now they have the watermark. Well, they just explain how to play, how to play the D reacts on them. Yeah. Sometimes players just, they, they don't grasp the idea of, uh, not being able to block from your arsenal, but you are able to, play and block with a card out of your arsenal but that must be a defense reaction like there's so many conditions but once you've set that lineup in your head the the conditional lines and stuff for like how to play cards out of your arsenal it makes sense but before that you just it doesn't make sense to you until you've actually seen the cards all the cards and then like okay i get it now but yeah i think i think commoner for sure is like perhaps I think my favorite way to introduce people to the game, you know, or like starter, starter blitz lists. Like that's kind of like what I had used, like the, the four starter blitz lists from WTR, which had a couple rares. Oh yeah. Um, which is fine. It just helps to like reinforce a little bit more like stronger cards. But yeah, I think those are a very good place to start. And I had been meaning to build the arcane rising, uh, uh, lists. But I just haven't gotten around to that one. Oh, that is really cool, actually. You you know what I might do? Um, I usually end up showing the game to people on Tuesdays because I just like some most Tuesdays. I'll just go to my LGS and hang out and play Commander. And uh, in between Commander games, I'll just be like, "Hey, you want to try Flesh and Blood? And it works. Um, so I've ended up <laughs> showing the game to a lot of people. And so what I purchased. So if you are interested in creating, it's not like, I don't know, some people are cool with just having one commoner deck, but I feel like anybody that has played this game for any length of time, like you have a nice amount of bulk. It's very easy to end up with multiple commoner decks very fast. Yeah, for sure. Um, I mean, I'm sitting on bulk. I need to move. Like I just finished organizing like the first four sets of this game into like my <laughs> like i just finally finally finished organizing like what i need for like a dual play set of the first four sets and now i just need to do the last two and offload the rest of this instead of sitting on yeah. it so what i bought and this is how i store my commoner decks, <clears> right? <throat> like everybody has for every card game everybody has like a preferred deck box 
that they're into, whether it's like a satin tower, a monolith, or maybe you're into an ultimate guard boulder or just like classic style deck boxes, whatever you're into. What I did was I picked up the ultimate guard stack and safe. Um, and this is a really like, obviously like I'm sitting here shelling for a product that's not giving me anything back. Um, but it's an acrylic box that can fit six small decks. Um, which is really cool. So you can just very quickly throw six commoner decks in here. The hero cards are facing out. The whole box is clear. Um, and it's just, I, I don't know. I, I really appreciate the aesthetics of it. And that's, just, I, that's how I like show people commoner. I've seen items like this before. Um, I used to have the Dragon Shield version of it. Um, but yeah, I mean, this is a pretty easy way to show people how to play, display the heroes, you know especially with the clear case. Yeah. And so now the ball, now the ball lightning's banned, like commoner might actually be legitimate. Um, yeah. I feel like Bravo is very good in commoner in my experience. Um, we also have to, to see me, how the new three heroes are going to be in commoner as well. Oh yeah. So yeah, uprising uh, release. Yeah. That's I honestly, I know this seems like, obviously it's negative value but like one of the main reasons that i would i'm I'm a big advocate for buying singles in a trading card game i mean obviously we all say that and then we buy a sealed product that's just that's how it works but man i am so excited to just get a shitload of bulk (laughs) so (laughs) i can make those three commoners it's it's just an endless cycle of like getting rid of bulk organizing bulk and then buying more bulk essentially Man, I, I don't know. I gotten real. Like, I just obviously, like, I won't sit here and talk about commoner for like three hours. But I've gotten so into commoner that I went back and I picked up the cold foil Bravo from the farewell to Wraith <laughs> because I was. <laughs> oh, like, you should have oh, told me. Should have told me. I just sold one. Oh, maybe I bought it from you. I don't know. We'll no, find out. I don't think so. I'll have I to go check Minnesota because <laughs> I don't yeah. need the Rhinar one because it's the same Rhinar in the. uh whatever you call it in the class yeah. battles and then well, I've, still got weird. A, I've still got a dorian and a ninja yeah Ooh, maybe i'll maybe i'll i do have the dory that was the one i got at my uh, farewell nice. i was able to i was able to get quite a few of these promos i uh I, I might trade you for that katsu at some point we'll see um so i guess we'll move on here to one of my favorite things in flesh and blood and that is the back alley oracle articles. Matt, do you love these as much as I do? Uh, they're pretty interesting. Uh, sometimes I, I haven't gone through all of the ones they've ever put out. But um, this one is a, a pretty brief one, if I, I'd say so myself. It's nothing too crazy that most cards will have to worry about. Most uh, cards, most players won't have to worry about. But uh, it is, I think, of value to at least read and know what's going on here. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, so it's interesting because the back alley oracles and the rules reprise articles, so they used to kind of be the same thing. And now they've they've kind of split into two things. And I love both of these. So uh, we have a brand new back alley oracle as well as a new rules reprise article to talk about. Matt, which one do you want to hit first? Uh, well, there are two re- rules reprise articles here for uh, Uprising, actually. Oh, they already hit me with a second one. Yeah, and this is essentially just going over common interactions in the set 
to make sure people are brushed up before the set releases. Excellent. To avoid, oh, cool. uh, I hadn't any, seen, yeah. uh, I hadn't seen number eight. Interesting. Yeah. So the first, uh, first ruling here is something actually we may have already discussed. Um, but it is the question, can I play an invocation pitching a red card and target the ash I create with Dromai? And if you listen to our last podcast or if you've spoken with us in person, I'm sure we've had a discussion. The answer is no. Uh, and you know why that is, Doug, right? Oh, because, okay, so I do know why this is. So when you play the invocation, so this is, this is important, right? When you pitch those cards, the, the ashes are created before the spell resolves, but in order for you to play an invocation, it needs a legal target. Yeah. Um, which is fascinating because there was, in all of the pre-releases, the judge question that I got most commonly was like, can I, uh, like, can I pitch a, uh, can I pitch a red to rake the embers, creating a second ash token, uh, so, and then transform them into Aether Ash Wings? And it's like, absolutely you can. Yeah. Um, but then can I, like, pitch one to cast this invocation if I don't have any? And the answer is absolutely not, because you need a target in order to play an invocation. So right. it's a very interesting and narrow interaction, but I can see how people would get confused. And they make that distinction in the uh, up in the rules reprise here with Rake the Embers and the invocation. Oh, interesting. Okay, well, I'm really glad they do, uh, because I, you know, I'm judging a road to nationals in a draft format in two weeks here. And I, uh, I get, there's no chance in hell that I don't get asked this three times. Yeah. <laughs> and the second question here is about Quell. And Quell's a new mechanic. Uh, it's a replacement effect uh, mechanic for damage, much like uh, Spell Void and a little bit more like uh, Arcane Barrier, rather. Yeah, but, I think Arcane Barrier yeah, is like the easier yeah. for sure. Because Quell appears in X numbers, right? Like spell, like uh, Arcane Barrier appears in Arcane Barrier three, two, one. Uh, Quell has appeared so far, I think, as only one. Um, but essentially, the question is: Can you use Quell multiple times? And the answer is: It depends. What is <laughs> what? What do you mean by multiple times? Right. So the examples given are uh, effects that deal uh, more than one damage uh, from a source, right? So like Searing yeah. Touch Rupture, Rosetta Thorns Arcane for two, Electrifies Damage for three. Like these are, uh, these all come from a source and they're one event of damage. And quelling, uh, any of the quelling cycle of uh, equipment say specifically, the text is, if your hero would be dealt damage, you may pay one resource to prevent one of that damage. If you do, destroy Quelling Robe at the beginning of the end phase. So while it's that current turn, if you've used the Quell ability to prevent damage, uh, you can continue to use it to prevent one damage from a single event. And what that means yeah. is, uh, say we're talking about Rosetta Thorn, which is an attack for two from a weapon that has a triggered ability that deals to Arcane, you can use a single quelling equipment 
to pay for its uh, replacement effect to prevent one arcane damage and one physical damage, paying two resources. But you can't pay it multiple times for a single event of damage. So you could not prevent the two arcane damage entirely from quell one. You would need multiple quell items to do that. Absolutely. And I'm trying to think off the top of my head. Um, what is it? What is it? What is it? Uh, I know exactly what card it is. Come on, words. Oh, chain lightning. So this is really interesting. Um, is it chain lightning? Nope, it's not chain lightning. Uh, there's a wizard card that's like deal x damage deal x you're thinking of forked lightning forked lightning thank you i knew it was some sort of metallic instrument lightning um whether chain or Mm -hmm. fork um so yeah this is now two damage events and something i saw at the pre-release um a lot of people would say you can use quell once per source and that's why i really like this because it separates events from sources um and it's exactly like you said boom you can do it twice on a rosetta you can do it twice on this forked lightning now and um i don't know i that's it's such an important thing to be able to differentiate uh especially one life can win or lose you the game so now you can use this way more than you thought you could before yeah definitely and i think people were under under undervaluing the the power of it in limited for sure. Um, and not using it to its full extent. Cause I've played turns, even as Fi, a hero that just doesn't want to prevent damage or block. I've prevented five damage in a single freaking turn with that, with these equipment playing against yeah. Icelander. So, I mean, like it really pays off knowing exactly like the, the breaking points of like pitch, like, you know, the pitch values you have in your hand to be able to prevent the, as much damage as possible. Absolutely. And that's, I think if you're going into this limited format, I, a lot of people watch this limited format and it's like, fi, 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 like he's going to destroy everything. He's obviously the most powerful deck. But now that you see how Quell works, Quell is really the difference maker in shutting down fi. Um, and I'll why I think it's from my and Icelander. Yeah. Oh, uh, no, I require agree. higher skill. <laughs> Yeah, and I think against uh, Dromai as well, because those Aether Ashwings can really start to uh, take a toll. Like, and they only attack for one, and they yeah. are definitely prevented by Quell. I've done this before as well. I've prevented up to four damage with a Quell item against Dromai. Yeah, absolutely. Um. So, uh, okay. So I guess this was the other the other thing they said in the uh, in the rules was do draconic attacks count themselves as draconic chain links you control? Now this one I don't think anybody has trouble with this one. Any, everybody sees it as like their first clever thing from this set. Yeah, um, and I don't remember if there were any weird edge cases or not. I uh, don't believe so. Not in limited format. I don't believe there wouldn't there couldn't exist anything. Um. If I'm not mistaken, but um, yeah, I mean, I'm sure it's possible for somebody to get confused if they uh, interrupt the Traconic chain link with like, oh, well, it wouldn't actually change it then in that, I suppose. So, yeah, I don't really see I don't foresee many people making this mistake and making a mistake of uh, whether they control the correct amount of Traconic chain links. Yeah. Um, 
So another interesting small ruling here, and I think it's it's kind of funny to me that in this um that uh, in this article they started out with like the two heavy hitters of weird interactions, and then they're like uh, it kind of like chills out a little bit. But here, does attacking with or attacking against an ally break the combat chain? And I can see why you would ask that. Hmm. But obviously here, um, you know, it does not. It's a it's just an additional you can kind of treat them like weapons in a weird way. Allies. Um, it's yeah, not I mean, really they're action. The sash, not sash, the sands of Sanakai create uh, it's an activated ability gives it to all the dragons in order for them to attack. Yeah. Which is interesting. I like that. And it also is attacking against the allies. It doesn't break the combat chain. The, um, I will say the, the Ash interaction's weird, right? Um, I think I've been thinking about this a lot in terms of design space, uh, for like, I, I've got it. The more I think about, uprising coming out so the next question is can i target an ash under a dragon with sand cover and the answer to that is obviously no uh you probably never even thought about that but obviously people have been asking that question and i feel like looking at this and the way it works which is so weird where ash becomes under an ally instead of them just like printing those allies with phantasm um, you know, because the ash gets destroyed as well whenever the phantasm breaks. Uh, like it, the, it, it's so weird to me that they, I feel like they they could have just combined steps. So, in my opinion, and Matt, tell me if you mm-hmm. think about this too, or maybe I'm just thinking of it too complicatedly. I feel like ash isn't the first material they came up with, and maybe we just didn't see the other one. I feel like it's just keeping. Um it's kind of like just keeping the door open for materials, right? Like it's, it's a cool, neat mechanic idea that I don't think they want to make it a one and done thing. So creating a keyword for it helps future cases where they don't have to redesign or reconfigure exactly how materials normally work. Uh, I think in the future cases, we'll see them appear underneath allies again, again, or underneath objects in the game, like auras. Um, I wouldn't be surprised at all. Um, um, I think I know where we'll see them. Where do you, where, where do you suppose? Uh, so you'll remember in the original lore book, they talked about classes that we could see eventually. Uh-huh. And one of those classes was alchemist. Oh, yeah. Material. And so I think, it would, yeah, you have a bunch of materials that you synthesize together, maybe to either tutor things out of your deck or to create certain potions or whatever. And, uh, I don't know if you noticed this, and uh, my friend Alex, uh, or if you if you follow him at yeah. Walsney on Twitter, pointed this out today. Um, there is an alchemist that is referred to on the majority of potions in Everfest. Really? Uh, there is a character that exists in the world. Um, so I don't know. Maybe that's where we'll see material next. You know, I love to wildly speculate on this game. It's like one of my favorite things to do. So that's why I bring this up with material. Yeah, I mean, material itself is cool. And I think that the Ash, if they had expanded the design space to be able to like still exist underneath the dragons, would allow for some pretty interesting play, like removing the Phantasm, essentially, 
from the aether wings or like being able to recycle the ash somehow like within a card like a majestic card that says like it's kind of like a channel or whatever um you put it into play and it says you know whenever uh draconic allies are destroyed or leave play uh you generate an ash right or something like that or like uh retain its ash it's not destroyed that'd be really cool uh if they expand that like design space for ash or like yeah. you know or as in like the suggestion here in this image is like using sand cover on an ash token underneath the ally to trick your opponent into destroying its phantasm yeah that'd be really cool um but i don't really know how that would play out right yeah, it's weird, right? It's just I understand the design space of Ash. I just um I okay, so okay, let me let me um let me backtrack a little bit and say this. Uh, let me let me just state it clearer, I think. It's weird to me that when you transform Ash into a dragon, um that it's not just the dragon gets phantasm, it's that the Ash stays under it to give it phantasm and i see what you're saying like maybe there's like another weird design space that unphantasms them who knows it's weird it's real weird yeah i mean i mean i feel like it would just to avoid having to print the phantasm word on the dragons and to avoid the confusion of having to track whether something was given phantasm or not just use the they just use the material to you know, like an aura almost, if you're familiar with like the magic like comparison, like an aura to grant it phantasm. That makes sense. I think um and okay, if I get this right in three months, I'm gonna like I'm gonna be so stoked. I'm gonna keep bringing <laughs> it up and being so annoying. I think what we will see in the next supplemental set, and something that I think Dramai is fundamentally missing in her card pool and something that I think holds her back from being such a good hero. Um, an instant that can transform X amount of allies back into Ash. Ooh. You know, I like that idea. It, yeah. It's like a deconstruction so that you can retain your Ash and not like... uh you know, I don't know. It may maybe it might be too good though. Like in terms of avoiding on hit effects, like if somebody declares an attack at your dragon with a on hit, you can kind of just like destroy it and just make your ash get it back. I kind of love it for that. Yeah, no, too. I do. I do like that idea. I just think maybe kinda... they had considered it. That's all. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I think, you know, just based on how these work, they're either planning for it or considered at some point. That yeah. would make the most sense to me in the design space. Um, so the last point they make here uh, is that when you draft a set of Uprising, and we, we talked about this a bit in the last right, episode. Right. It's, um, at the casual and competitive level, which is basically everything you'll be playing at if you're not at the Pro Tour or Nationals or something at that level. Um, if you draft a dual face card, you got to tuck it under another card. Um, that's just, these are the rules. Um, in the future, or at pro level events, uh, if packs with DFCs, that's what we'll call them because that's cool, uh, they'll get replaced by an appropriate placeholder card indicating what card it represents, um, which is real cool. I, I like that a lot. 
Yeah, because in limited in these professional environments, you register sealed pools and stuff or draft pools, right? So they would be able yeah. to replace those with placeholders pretty easily. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, okay, so let's touch on rules reprise number eight. Um, you know, just to get you ready for RTNs start this weekend. Um, so with rules reprise number eight, the first, and I haven't looked at this, so I don't know the answers yet. So there could be some yeah. egg on my face. Um, <laughs> the first question is, if I activate the Conduit of Frostburn, which is the Ice Wizard common hand, uh, then play Icebind with Fusion, uh, can I destroy a card in their arsenal? And the and, answer, I believe, is yes. Yeah, you can. And this is because of the layer that these effects create. And you get to reorder the, the layers of resolution. So both of them are on hits, right? So Icebind specifically says uh, deal X arcane damage because it's variable uh, to any target. If it's fused and it deals damage, freeze a card in their arsenal until the start of your next turn. And then Conduit Frostburn is an instant that uh, destroys the equipment and gives the next card you play this turn an effect with an effect that deals arcane damage. It gains when it deals arcane damage to a hero, destroy a frozen card in their arsenal. Now, it doesn't require a card to be in their arsenal frozen already when it hits. However, when it resolves, it will check for a frozen card in arsenal and destroy it. So essentially what happens here is you deal the arcane damage, both abilities can trigger, and then you can resolve Icebind, freezing the arsenal, and then resolve the Conduit of Frostburn's effect, destroying the arsenal. Yeah, it's interesting, right? So the, like the whole card has to resolve before anything else can interrupt it. Yeah. So what happens is when you destroy the Conduit, you know, it looks for the arcane damage being dealt. And there's no interrupt. I can't stress this enough. If you're unfamiliar with the rules of how most TCGs work, there is no interrupt between the text of cards. Like it all happens at once. And that's why the freeze happens immediately after the arcane damage. And then the game is able to put the conduit layer on. So yeah, 100%. right. That would be 99% of the cases. Like that's just how these cards work. And it's really interesting. Like I do like how this works as well. It's uh very it's somewhat reminiscent of like magic in in a, in a way. Yeah, um, I hate making the comparison all the time because I know there's a lot of play people like as as odd as it may seem, I feel like there are a lot of people who just don't have like a magic background and they come to flesh and blood. Um, but it's just the easiest thing to make the same muggles. <laughs> it's just the easiest <laughs> thing to make a comparison to. Not to say that this game is like inherently similar to magic. It's just there are for sure a lot of similarity similarities and inspirations from the game. There's no denying Absolutely. that at all. Um, the, the next question is really interesting and I wonder like what was happening to cause it to come up, um, which is, can I close the combat chain to put Phoenix flame in the graveyard, then use five ability <laughs> to return it to hand. And the answer of course is yes. But you know, when you, play five's instant why would you do that? The yeah <laughs> there are um edge cases i think um where there's some kind of benefit to uh playing out your phoenix flame first and then closing the chain to get it in the graveyard and then playing the rest of the turnout 
right? So you could turn on the headlong rush or yeah. whatever that card's called. Um, and then also have your Phoenix Flame in the arsenal before you start the chain. I mean, in your graveyard before you start that large chain because you don't want to interrupt it later, right? You won't get yeah. the benefits. Extremely no, absolutely. Huh. Or to yeah, turn so, on... Yeah, I think that makes uh, more sense. Yeah, or to turn on the um, Flame Wake uh, Awakening, Flame Call Awakening, or the... Uh, the other one that uh, grabs one from your graveyard and puts it into your hand. Yeah, which, which I, is I did that. Really that's like the, so the yeah, that's like definitely the way to do it because um, it just checks if you've played a red card this turn. It doesn't care uh, if it's a chain link, right? Exactly. So you get to turn the effect online and have it also start your chain link. I dig that. Um, yeah. Here's a weird question. Wait. All right. Hang on. This next one. If I use Quell to prevent damage from Frostbite and Frock, Frost Hex, is it destroyed at the end of my turn? Oh, okay. I remember reading about this. I absolutely love this interaction. Um, yeah, it's good stuff. Very good stuff. So this is interesting, right? Uh, this is an edge case in the game, and I don't know how many of these actually exist, um, but this is an example where a card actually makes it so that players get priority um, in the <clears throat> end phase. I, I don't know if that's the case. Is that, is that the case? I think this is a, just... I think this is just paying for costs to a replacement effect, no? I don't um, know if they necessarily gain priority. Yeah, that's true. I, I wonder what the specific wording is that. Uh, like because, the, yeah, I see what you're saying. Yeah, like, for example, if you have an activated ability that said prevent some amount of damage that you would be dealt next, once the Frost Hex triggered ability went off during the end phase, you could not activate that ability. But if it's a replacement effect like Arcane Barrier or Quell, then you could pay for replacement effect costs. It's so weird, though, because would you be able to respond to them quelling? No, not at all. The damage, it's, it replaces the damage event by preventing one damage. So it's, it's as if the damage event has occurred, but the result is X damage. It's, it's the same way as... Once more, um, we give very, using very technical magic like judge terminology, but it's when you process damage into results. The replacement effect takes place there, I believe. It's more or less the same kind of concept. Interesting. Yeah, okay. I want to read more into that because I think you're yeah, 100% this, right. Just you don't get priority though, in the end. I agree. I agree, and I don't think anyone gains priority, but I do think that this is very interesting as far as like and, and the main caveat here, as far as like the player asking about preventing the damage with Quell, this occurs during the end step, the end phase, right? And Quelling Slippers uh, instructs you to destroy it at the beginning of the end phase. Now we've already we're already beyond the beginning of the end phase at this point. So what's funny is that if this happens to you during during your turn, of course, that's when it would happen. Uh, you can prevent the damage from Quelling Slippers. Draw back up the hand size 
and your Quelling Slippers will still be in play during your opponent's next turn until the beginning of their end phase. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay, that, which is really cool because it just... Uh, Extremely. Get wrecked. Extra value. Extreme yeah, Quelling value. 100%. I mean, I think it's also just like... It's funny in a way, like having arcane barrier against a frost hex allows you to like uh clear your hand of like dead uh just dead cards right because you like you you might be sitting behind a wall of frostbite and unable to pay for any of your costs so you might be forced to pass the turn and otherwise keep an entirely terrible hand but in the case of frost hex being afflicted on you you can just use the arcane barrier abilities you have to pitch your hand and this is during the end phase so you haven't drawn up for turn yet yeah oh i love it yeah very cool stuff this is very cool i like it um i really like channel the bleak expanse here Um, i don't (laughs) okay well all right so um so channel the bleak expanse reads and so this is a question about channel the bleak expanse um it reads heroes can't reveal cards, search decks, or draw cards from effects. Um, I love it because it rhymes. <laughs> That's like one of my favorite things about this card. Oh, it's okay. Just like, it's like can't reveal cards, search saw- decks, draw cards from effects. That, um, that, that just put that card up a little bit higher, like in, in my <laughs> mind, like in terms of tier. Because I love that kind of thing. Like just rhyming. Like if you ever played again, this is the secret to playing like card games with me or like things like Cards Against Humanity. Like, if you could find a way for something to rhyme, like, in that fashion or to make it make sense, like, that's extra points for me. Absolutely. I love it. It's just, like, it's just a chuckle, you know, a good chuckle. Um, <laughs> That's why I love this card, and I'm really upset it's not in more deck lists. Uh, so, it's really interesting, right? Uh, so, the, the initial question that someone asks here uh, in this rules reprise is, do I still discard? When I play Sand Sketched Plan and Channel the Bleak Expanse is in the arena. And the answer is um Get Wrecked do is the answer. Still discard. Yeah. Um these are three separate three separate actions, right? Um, because you're not allowed to search your deck, not even once. Um, and uh you can't put that into your hand uh, because you didn't search your deck for it. But then the next thing is discard a random card which is its own event separate from the two original events. Yes. Um, and then shuffle your deck. So you can play sand sketched plan to discard and shuffle. And I, it's kind of interesting because um, you can use sand sketch plan here to just get yourself two action points is kind of weird if, but you could. Uh, yeah. I mean, that. If you know you're going to discard a six power, sure. <laughs> I mean, you there's know, definitely I mean, going to be a time where it's the right play. Like, this is probably going to win some of the game uh, somewhere, make them feel super smart. I mean, I don't know when, I don't know when you wouldn't just rather have all the cards in your hand, but look, I could be wrong. Who knows? Uh, but I just can't imagine, unless you're like playing against Prism, in which case, you wouldn't be facing down channel of bleak expanse. But yeah, no, I, I mean, I do think there's just an edge case to be made where like, this is somewhat beneficial, but generally speaking, I think this is terrible. Like this is terrible for the brute player. Like you're playing sand sketch plan 
And then the Icelander player goes, hey, by the way, instant speed channel like expands. And you're like, oh, I didn't plan for that. Um, that's really interesting. I don't, I don't know. It's weird. I mean, and you uh, can't even play Flock of the Feather Walkers. It's like not even a playable card while this is out. It's really interesting, though, too. Like, just uh, I'll touch one more thing on Sand Sketch Plan uh, because it's weird. Um, you can still, if you have two cards in hand, right? And channel the blink, bleak expanses out, and you play Sand Sketch Plan, and the last card in your hand is Beast Within. The triggers keep working because it specifically says banish. I don't know. I think that's interesting. My initial thought was, does Beast Within say reveal? And if so, does it just kill you? Um, uh, <laughs> but obviously it says banish. Yeah, I was just saying, wait a minute. Wait a minute. <laughs> I have to look that one up. No. I got way too far ahead of myself. So yeah, you brought up you brought up a um you brought up a great point. So cards that say as an additional cost, uh, you have to reveal something. Uh, like flock of the feather walkers or belittle. Well, belittle is um, an additional cost. You are, it says you may reveal an attack action card. So belittle uh, is just one for three go again. But flock of the feather walkers is a dead card. Yes. Um. Yeah, that's actually very true. Um. Interesting. Yeah. So the may ability, obviously not. Be you're just immediately told you can't do it, which is great. That's a great way to still be able to play that card. I like that design space. I could see them accidentally getting too restrictive with that, and I'm glad they didn't. Mm -hmm. uh, Flock of the Feather Walkers dead, as is everyone's single favorite card. I'm talking about Demolition Crew. Oh yeah, dead card. Yeah. <laughs> uh, um, was it not already dead? <laughs> yeah it is a dead card uh so we'll get to the last one and i matt just looking at these two cards um it's not that i didn't know this would happen it's that i definitely misread fyandal's fighting spirit and didn't realize it said attack or defend i definitely missed out on like three oh, really? life <laughs> I thought we had a whole conversation about this because I was super high on Findel's Fighting Spirit in spoiler season. I was, I mean, and it's a rare too; it deserves it. But I think, like, I was, I was like, wow, like this is back to the point of me like really liking cards, giving you value, like without playing them, like just yeah. discarding them or blocking with them, you know, or putting them into a zone. Like Findel's Fighting Spirit says, you block with me and you also gain a life. Like if you're below. If you're behind, you know, I block for three. Sometimes I block for two. Most times. I really like the idea that a three cost seven attack three block is like too strong, but just barely too strong. So they had to nerf it a little bit to still like allow well, I mean, it's not even just that too, because it, when it attacks, it says gain a life too. So it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's putting in double, double duty. So, okay, so the question here is, if I defend a Phantasm attack with Fandal's Fighting Spirit, do I gain life? And the answer is absolutely you do, um, because you are still defending with that card, and then the Phantasm trigger, I keep saying trigger, but yeah, the trigger is layered on the stack. And um, basically, because you have defended, you've met that condition, that layer is also on the stack, and when the 
when everything closes because of the phantasm trigger, all the layers that are currently on the stack still resolve. So you will gain a life. Um, the way you end up with that life is a little bit more complicated than you might imagine because of the intricacies of the chain being closed and how it relates to phantasm. But you do still gain a life. Yeah, it's a triggered ability and it happens as soon as you defend with it. Yeah, absolutely. It's uh, it's interesting that they say it's similar to how rune chant triggers still resolve. And it's interesting to think of them that way. Uh, to think of rune chants as actual layers instead of like permanence, even though like they are both. That's fascinating. I actually really like that. It's a good description. Right on. Um, so you know what, Matt? Uh, they have added a few things here uh, in terms of concessions, what to do. There's now a third rules enforcement level. Uh, did anything stick out to you? in this that you felt like is important um the most the thing that stuck out to me the most is that they downgraded uh a few rel levels uh for like um was was a uh, battle hardened then calling always a uh, professional or competitive or um i believe they were always competitive um okay. pro quest and road to nationals were not they were casual Right. So now uh, ProQuest and Road to Nationals are considered, I think the competitive level is new, right? Or is that yes. that has always existed? So or, like, I think it's the professional levels new. I don't know which one was the, the professional existed. Well, I know either way, the Pro to National RTNs and ProQuest are now competitive, right? Uh, the one thing that stuck out to me, though, is that day one of calling and day two of callings are different levels of REL. Yeah, that Which day one, it's competitive REL a little bit, you know, not not uh, not, you know, not a little bit more. Less competitive, but, you know, day two is where it's professional, right? So we're talking deck lists and like, I mean, not that you didn't have deck lists for the calling day one, but it's a lot more on the straight and narrow compared to competitive or casual, which is new for callings yeah it's a it's interesting uh, i i kind of get it you have so many players on the calling day one that you need a little leniency but if you day two like yeah very little better leniency. be on your game exactly i 100 agree oh and this is a really big one a really big update as well is that um ip4s i intellectual penalties have now been reduced twice again um, we are at IP3s now. Interesting. So their logic was that initially they were IP5s, right? Um, they reduced it to IP4s with the idea that it was too harsh and made the penalty insurmountable for players to actually have a way to back into the game. Um, and even so now, their data shows that it is still too harsh for competitive players to uh, get over that hump of I four turns of intellectual penalty. So now they are testing IP three. That is the current penalty for tardiness and other uh, intellectual penalty, uh, you know, issues. Yeah. Um, I, one of the big things that I think is interesting is they have made it, um, 
you've like you gotta really like i don't know i really like that they have now reserved disqualifications for like um you gotta earn it yeah you gotta earn them now there's no way (laughs) there's no way to just kind of like bumble yourself into one now i much appreciate that i think that's great um it's very much like the conversation that was had at the uh judge conference yeah you You gotta uh, earn them yeah you gotta earn that dq um yeah, absolutely, which I'm pretty happy about. I I felt like Flesh and Blood was pretty strict on some stuff before, and it seems like they've kind of chilled out, uh, which is cool. <laughs> I'm glad. Uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's I don't know. It, I don't I don't like it leaving. I don't like it having being vague in terms of like how and when to apply disqualification. It's much better to have a more specific guidelines and requirements for that to be an option you know um instead of just like a a, instead of just as a result of an escalation my uh my personal like when uh, my personal guideline is two yelled sentences at me like you can yell one sentence at me and then be like oh and stop yourself but two gone (laughs) (laughs) yeah remind me not to yell at you sheesh yeah well i mean you get a full sentence uh, so just I gotta, gotta make a count. I use commas, count. no periods. In addition, comma, comma, I'm not done yet. <laughs> Hold up. <laughs> I'm gonna continue yelling at you. Semicolon. Like that wasn't a period, it was an ellipsis. <laughs> it's a pregnant pause. It's great. <laughs> Hyphen. Oh my gosh, that's actually really great. Um, yeah, I uh, I really like um, I like how uh, missing triggers is now exclusively the responsibility of the player that owns the triggered layer. That's really good. I didn't like that it was in most cases a shared responsibility before. That was kind of weird. Yeah, um, that's that's kind of odd. Because I mean, like, that, I mean that's a point of skill in this game, you know? Uh, yeah not missing those i think do they differentiate between beneficial and uh and uh detrimental and detrimental yes they do um I well, as far as the, the, new, the new update though here miss triggers oh, within ad- the new update? adjust that yeah um i don't know let me speed read this real quick uh i think i believe they said they've rewritten the way the infraction is handled um to be more specific as when triggers have been considered missed. Um, allowing the opponent to, uh, I don't know, it's, it's, it's interesting. They lowered the penalty for missed detrimental triggers that were ultimately created by the opponent. So like, like a, uh, I don't know, like, a, like you missing, like, because technically you control a frostbite token. Yeah. So it's a misdetrimental trigger, but the, of something you own. But it, since it was created by the opponent, then it's not really your responsibility. I'm glad they covered that. That's probably they were thinking of frostbites primarily when they did that. Um, yeah, that's a good call with the set coming out with a ton of frostbites. So I don't know. I need to dive a little bit deeper into this, and I plan to just take a few nights and study all these changes uh, before this RTN happens in two weeks. Um, the uh, 
It's really interesting. Um, they were talking about conceding and improperly determining winners. I just, uh, I, I think this is so weird. There had to have been some bizarre edge case where this happened, but conspiring to have a player win a tournament. <laughs> I, yeah. I don't know why I find that sentence so funny, but like we've conspired to have well, this player win. Here's the thing though. Like I, I'm, I'm, I, as far as I understand it, like there are groups of people and you know, whatever, uh, tournaments that occur, like and even this is just exists throughout all TCGs, right? Like people will go to tournaments in groups and based on like matchups and based on like tiebreakers and pairings and stuff, they, and also based on a mutual understanding, they usually try to coordinate some sort of like agreement in which, you know, players will give up a, you know, a prize for something more desirable or a less, I would say like, it's not bribery, but like a splitting almost like a, a, a hidden split, right? That kind of thing. Yeah. Where like, you know, moving someone up the ranks in exchange for a portion of pricing, right? Yeah, so that's of course that that of course qualifies as as bribery or you know uh, con, uh, conspiring or concession or whatever. But you know, it's uh, it's what constitutes it's like literally is what bribery is. But um, yeah, it's uh, their their point that they're trying to make is that this is goes against essentially what the the mission of the game is to play great games and they want uh games to actually occur rather than to be settled uh based on you know who wants half of what prize and you know who gets a an invite and who gets uh the gold foil who gets the cash who gets the card right yeah, that kind of deal, and uh, they are they are looking to revise the way uh, in professional invites work in order to accommodate this specific issue, address it. Yeah, so that perhaps I, I, instead of like conceding to someone so that you can get the PTI and that person gets like the gold foil, you can now like actually play for it. And if you don't plan to go to X city, traveling all the way to X city to play in a in a in a tournament, you can just give it up to the person. Who is second? I think that's way better than DQing all of them and then having the bottom eight <laughs> play for it. I mean, that's that seems it doesn't seem reasonable though. I don't know if any reasonable judge would do that. Like, it just doesn't seem correct. Yeah, it's it's complicated, it's right? I, I you know it's it's maintaining the integrity of the game while also getting everyone out at a reasonable time and not like cutting all the way down to like what the eighth place player is the winner or something like that, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. There's a lot of stuff that goes into this, but generally this is a good thing that's happening. Absolutely. We want to Maybe avoid as much yeah. non play as possible. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't, it's yeah, it's weird. I don't <clears throat> I come up with a solution. Uh, maybe we'll be able to come up with one at a judge conference which yeah. is now a thing for fab. Um, I'm going to try and get in on this upcoming one. I think that's really cool. Um, plus who doesn't just love, yeah, I, there's something to be said about like people being like, Hey, uh, what are you doing on Sundays? Like, Oh, I, I have a conference oh, yeah. <laughs> to I've legitimize a, whatever the hell you're up meeting, to. A little conference. You know what I mean? So I'm going yeah, to be, I'm going to be busy. Don't call me. Okay. <laughs> what a conference. Do not disturb mode. Just, 
Yeah, no, it's it's cool. Like we were just at a magic conference this weekend and I just found out, I don't know if it had been posted recently or I don't know how long ago, but on the judge hub here uh, for flesh and blood, uh, an online mini conference was posted as an event. And if anyone knows, like flesh and blood hasn't really had any official conferences for judges yet at all. Uh, but it seems like somebody's taking the initiative to hold some kind of uh, organization to hold some sort of uh, like organized like uh, conference for uh, flesh and blood judges, which is great. Yeah. I mean, it's just even if it's something, you know, uh, voluntary, uncompensated, like it's a good way to get together and meet and talk to some of the other people who are who love this game as much as we do. And uh, get some advice and some new like tools to help judges, you know, perform their duties, you know, and also just like talk, you know, communicate and uh, network because updated judge uh, requirements for level twos and above are have been changed recently. And it requires you to be a little bit more uh, connected. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Uh, it'll be a great way for, you know, the, this first wave of adding new L2s, I think, is going to be difficult for them uh, just yeah. because of the small amount of L2s. So hopefully and the requirements for sure are definitely going to be a, a a barrier, an obstacle. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, yeah, I think I mean, the only other weird thing that happened this week was there was a 10K um, oh, yeah. at the Realm Games in Ohio. and. This is so weird because this game, this particular 10K had a unique metagame in that we saw this event play out with Starvo and Chain Living Legend, but without the new uh, Uprising Heroes released yet. Yes, it's kind of like a, a weird, like, interstice, you know, kind of deal, like, between, you know, Uprising meta and the Everfest meta. Yeah, I, it's real weird. Um, I don't remember exactly what the top eight was, but I saw that this tournament was mostly dominated by Prism and Briar, which is about what I expected. Um, there were some Oldham decks. I, it seems to be kind of a rock, paper, scissors meta without the new heroes, where it's, you know, Oldham beats Briar, Briar beats Prism, Prism beats Oldham. Um, but I think Oldham just gets trashed so hard by Prism that it's not even like a remotely winnable matchup. And I think that's why we really only saw Briar and Prism uh, towards top eight. I forget what yeah. the other two decks were. I think there was one Viscerai. And I yeah, there was one Viscerai. There were all Oldham Prisms and Briars, uh, with the exception of one Viscerai. Which oh, is very, very cool. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, yeah. I don't know. It's a weird metagame. I'm excited to see if Icelander or Fi or to a lesser extent Dromai, because I don't think Dromai is going impact, to impact the meta all that much. I, I'm excited to see well, what to see. happens. Yeah. Well, I think we've about covered everything this week. I can't believe we were able to milk this much content out of the yeah. extra week we've been gifted. It was a bit slow, a bit, a bit of a slow week, but you know, but by the time you hear us again next week, hopefully we will have opened some of those sweet, sweet paper booster packs 
and we'll be in the midst of testing and putting together new decks. Yeah, absolutely. Um, cool. We'll see you next week. Take care.